This is Joseph. I'm just simply in a series on Joseph's life, and I've not very original in my titles here. Joseph's story. This is part three. But if we were to give a subtitle to it, um, we might pose the question, do you know why you were born? Right? That's a pivotal question. That's something that we can think about. And last week we talked about, do you know what your purpose is? Do you know why you're here? Uh, as we look at his life, we see these, these traits and these themes kind of pop out. And we go, yeah, I identify with this. I identify with that. I've, you know, I don't know if any of us have been sold by our siblings. Uh, you know, we don't necessarily identify with that. But we do un- understand um, being betrayed, right? being hurt and being broken. Um, and having just evil things done to us. We, we understand that. And we see in his life all these wonderful, I'm use the word wonderful, but, but parallels. Not to the difficulties, but also to God's sovereign hand. God's hand of providence. And even in the middle of difficulties and struggles, right, God is at work. So that question would be, do you know why you were born? That's a good one, right? That's a good question. You know, when we moved to Denver, uh, I think it was back in 2011, we moved in... Uh, the winter time, I believe it was it was February. We actually moved into Denver um, in a blizzard, and so, and you kind of think, you know, from California, you're like blizzards don't really happen. I mean, I see them on the news, but I think that's made up, you know. Uh, I got to experience it firsthand, and I never, you know, there was a white knuckle experience, right? The whole last, you know, I don't know many hours of the trip, uh, driving in snow, and you know it's pretty bad when you see semis that have slid off the roads, and you're just kind of, you know, in Jesus' name, here we go, you know. Uh, but we, we got into Denver, and we, so we got into Denver. It was the end of, an, the end of football season. And I don't know if, you've, if, you're, if you follow football at all uh, in the past. Tim Tebow was the quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Now, was that Tim Tebow or Broncos? Okay. And, this is, and the reason I say this is he's, he's a very interesting individual. I mean, if, if you follow sports at all, you know that he's not embarrassed about his stand for, for Christ. Uh, and it's interesting being in Denver because Denver is, is a football town. All the major sports are there. They have the, uh, the Nuggets, which is NBA, and they have the uh, Avalanche, which is hockey, NHL, and uh, the Rockies are there. We would go to a lot of Rockies games, especially when the Giants were in town. So they're all, it's all in Denver. And, uh, but if you were to ask someone who lives in Denver, they would say, well, what's the dominant sport here? They would say, well, we bleed orange, right? It's, it's Broncos, man. It's... <laughs> Don't ever do that in Denver. <laughs> so, they, I mean, they're very serious about football. It's a football town. If you've ever, I, this is the first time I've lived in a football town. This is where this whole experience kind of came to life. I'm like, wow. But when we moved there, the whole Tebow thing, if you're familiar with it, was happening, right? He, he kind of came in midseason, and they were horrible. And all of a sudden, he gets them to the playoffs, and he wins the first round of the playoffs. And, and the fans loved Tebow, but the critics did not like him. They were very harsh to him. Part of that had to do because he would kneel down, and he was very vocal about his Christianity, about his faith. And they didn't like it. They would never come out and say that, but they didn't, they didn't like him. He was a great leader. He was a wonderful leader, strong leader, right? He would do all these things. But he was giving an interview, Tim Tebow. And I come into the middle of this, and of course, they, if you're familiar with how the Broncos played it out, they, got this, they, they let him go, and they picked up another guy uh, called Peyton Manning, and so they, they went forward with him. But he was given an interview in a football stadium, and he made this statement. He says, the world looks at me as a football player who's a Christian. But I look at the world and say, I'm a Christian who happens to play football. I love that, right? He begins with his faith. This is who I am. It's not, you know, Christianity isn't something I do on Sundays. This is who I am. This is my identity, and I happen to also play football. 
And it's interesting because he was asked a follow-up question that, well, do you see yourself, Mr. Thibault, as, as a role model? And he shared this statement. He said, there are a lot of role models out there. There just aren't many good ones. He said, to me, that's so frustrating because you have in today's society so many famous athletes in baseball and basketball and football and golf, every sport there is. If we come together to be great role models, it would be amazing to see how the next generation turns out. Yeah, right? Can you imagine the impact, the influence that he has? Because there were many who loved Tebow. You, you could still go into Denver today. I imagine you would see a Tebow jersey walking around on someone. They loved him there. The critics didn't, but a lot of them loved him. And even outside of football, everyone here would speak, whether it was college, people had it because he stood for truth. You knew where he, what he believed in. And that's this wonderful thing because he was not embarrassed to be a Christian. Right? He put his Christianity first. He was not embarrassed. He wasn't embarrassed by criticism. He had loads of it. Right? Those who didn't like him didn't like him. And it wasn't like, I'm not sure he didn't like him. No, they didn't like him. Right? He didn't like the fact that he would kneel. He wasn't embarrassed by his criticism. And he wasn't embarrassed to take a knee and to thank God publicly. This is who he is. Right? When you got Tim Tebow, you knew who you have. And that's this wonderful idea. We think this, you know, stepping into Joseph's story, this is kind of what we see, isn't it? Some of it. We know that he's 17 from, from Genesis 37. He's, he's loved by his father, right? And because of that love and because of the, the Technicolor dream coat, right? And because of, of all the blessings and he's the, the next one who's, who's in line that, that builds animosity to all the other brothers. And the brothers do what? They, they throw him in a pit. They're going to kill him. Uh, they decide not to do that. They have a, just, just this wonderful moment of mercy, right? They sell him. Hey, let's make some profit off this. I, I've always thought, I wonder how they divvied up the, what they got for him, right? How did they figure that out, you know? And I wonder if, if Jacob was like, hey, where did you guys get that? You know, all of a sudden you've, you've got some money. Where did that come from? I don't, you know, I'm sure they hid it, but they sold him off. And so he's off on, it, on his journey, right, to, to Egypt, and God's got to get him there. And that's kind of where we left this story off, but we always see, we see this constant also that God is with Joseph. God doesn't depart in difficult times. He doesn't check out because, you know, I know your siblings sold you. I guess I don't want you either. None of that is here. God is, is with Joseph. He walks with him. He stands with him through all of this. And this is where we pick up this story in Genesis 39. We went ahead and skipped 38. 38 is, is, uh, picks up the story of Judah, and, and um, there's a lot to say there, but I really wanted to stay focused on uh, Joseph's story. And so it says this in, in chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Here's a key verse, right? The Lord was with Joseph and he was, he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So uh, Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of the house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer this house and, and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Excuse me. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had had except for the bread which he ate 
Now Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know uh, what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as he spoke to Joseph day by day, excuse me, she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard I lift, lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until her, his master came home. And she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where a king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Here we go again. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to, Joseph, to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I ask, Lord, this morning that as we look into uh, the story of Joseph and we see uh, yet again turmoil and temptation, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would grow in a, in a deeper understanding of your grace, your mercy, your power, your might that is with us. So, Lord, turn our attention to you and let us focus upon you. And, Lord, as always, I ask you to get me out of the way, that every eye and thought would be placed upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we left, as I mentioned earlier, we last left Joseph. We know he's 17. We know his, his, uh, his dad loved him very much. We know his brothers did not, right? And they sold him into slavery. They cast him in a pit. But we see in the beginning of verse 39 that this is un un unfolding. And you have to remember that all of Joseph's story is just unfolding in front of him. Just like your story is unfolding in front of you every day, we see something and how God is leading. And, and we know the end of this story. We know the, the highs, the lows, and just this awesome moment that takes place in, in uh, you know, Genesis 50, verse 20, where he says, you know, you meant this for evil, but you know, God meant this for good. And, and it's an amazing statement considering everything that he's going through. 
And so he's endured his brothers having you know, this hardship over him. He's, he's going to endure in the passage we just read of being lied on again. Right? And this time it's not a tunic, it's not the Technicolor dream coat, it is his coat, right? And we see the same symbolism, and yet it's used against him. But we also see these wonderful t- uh, statements throughout this that, that is, that is w- uh, woven throughout the, really this whole chapter is the fact that God is with him. The Lord was with Joseph. And I think this makes right, all the difference. We see also in this passage this, the story of his battle with temptation. Right? That's something that I think in, in our world, in our society, that is around us all the time, especially sexual temptation. Right? And we want to learn from Joseph and how to deal with these things and how to properly live a life Lord, that's, that has the same attitude of Joseph that we can resist. Um, there was a British playwright, who Oscar Wilde, who, who once remarked, I can resist anything except temptation. Some of us go, yeah, I think I I relate to that a little bit. C.S. Lewis also observed that no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. Right? So we see that Joseph is in this this situation. We realize that temptation is not a new thing. Right? You and I go, yeah, we identify with this. I mean, temptation has been around from the beginning with Adam and Eve. We see the enemy work this way, we see our world work this way. So we have to realize, you know, what is temptation? Because Joseph has this, this, at least the mentality, it's not directly written in the passage, but he has an understanding of what this is all about. He doesn't point fingers. He doesn't uh, say, well, you know, the Satan made me do it or anything like that. Of course, we know he's completely innocent, but we have this tendency in our life um, to maybe justify temptation. So we want to have a good running definition of it. I think temptation is the inner urge to do wrong. Um, that hits us in the place of our own personal weakness. It's an inner urge, right? Things that happen inside of us. And that's important to understand because we live life, we go across things, we may have a tendency to say, you know, my parents did this, my, my uh, co-workers did this, you know, my brother sold me in a pit, right? I mean, or sold me to slavery, left me in a pit. All these things we can create justification, but we don't see Joseph justify anything. And that's important for us. When we come across temptation, how we deal with it. There's also, and I just by way of introduction here, there's also, it's also important to realize that there's a temptation for self-preservation, isn't there? You know, if my coworkers are, are kind of doing these things and I just kind of want to fit in, I don't want to go against the grain, well, I'll kind of go do these things with them. You know, that saying when in Rome, right, do as the Romans do. But we look at Joseph's life, and here's a man who probably, I mean, may, I, we could say, I mean, he's got some reasons here. His brothers betrayed him. They stabbed him in the back. They threw him in a pit. He sold him to slavery, and yet he comes to Egypt. And it would be very easy for him to say, you know what? I've been sold. Let's just forget God. He's already, I mean, he's absent here. My brothers did this. I'm just going to kind of fall in line here, and I'm just going to take on the Egyptians' morality. I'm going to take on their religions. I'm going to take on their ethical standard. If I'm a slave, I might as well just live it. And there's this, this sense of temptation for self-preservation, isn't there? If I just don't make it easy on myself, I'll just, I'll just go do this. But this isn't how he responds to his slavery, is it? And there's two characteristics that jump out for us that we see here. So he becomes a slave and, and he responds to his slavery. He's in Egypt. We realize that he has not lost his character, Joseph. And he is completely aware of God's presence. 
We think of the turmoil. We know from Genesis 42, his brother is going to give us a little bit more insight at this moment when they sold him, and he pleads with him. You can imagine the trip, the journey, all these things happening, being hungry, being scared, having fear, and yet he comes to this, this moment where he says, you know what, I, I'm going to maintain my character. I'm not going to take on any of the Egyptian ways, and I'm going to trust to know that even in the middle of this, God is with me. That's pretty amazing. Right? Think for a moment what you're walking through this morning. Do you believe God is with you? Do you believe God will walk with you through that pain, through that hurt? That's very important, isn't it? Because we know we're not alone if he's the ever-present God. F.B. Meyer writes, Though stripped of his coat, he had not been stripped of his character. That's really good. So we want to look from this, from this passage, this chapter in the Bible, what are some things that help us in this pursuit? Because we come across temptation, we come across brokenness, we walk through difficult things. We live in a world that is, that is saying, if it feels good, just go and do it. It's endorsing all the things that we know of Scripture to be wrong. So what do we do? How do we navigate this world? My first point here is we have to never let your guard down. Never let your guard down. In chapter 1 through 6a, he says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, right? Potiphar, officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, and had taken him down there, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. The Lord made all he did prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and served him. He made him overseer of the whole house, right? Think for a moment here. Potiphar's like no dummy, is he? He's, he's noticing something about Joseph. He sees this and goes, wow, everything this, this young man does uh, is blessed. So I'm just going to keep putting him in charge of stuff and see how this plays out, right? It's not recorded how he understands this, but he knows this. And notice as he turns everything over to Joseph, right? He says, Joseph, I want you to be in charge of everything. We pick this up in verse 5. It says, and so it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all, took everything he had, put it in Joseph's care, right, in his hand. He did not know what he had except the bread and what he ate. Except for the food he puts in front of me, I didn't put any care to what I had. I put it all in his care. It's all in Joseph's care. So we see the Lord is blessing. Right? And here's what we want to realize. A few things we want to point out is when we come across non-believing people, we have to realize they're not dumb. Right? They're smart, intelligent people. He's perceived that here that, that Joseph is blessed by the Lord. He acknowledges it as, as it's written for us. We see this, how he understands that. We don't know. Is it maybe he's attaching to Joseph some other Egyptian gods? We don't know, understand any of that. But he does know that he is blessed. There's something different about this young man. We have a tendency to kind of maybe negate or write off those who do not know the Lord. But one thing we can be for sure, the world can spot a phony. Right? If you're, if you're one of these people who says, you know, I, I am my work or my career is first, and then I add on Christianity to it, well, it's going to be really simple for you to kind of kick Christianity off when the times go hard, right? And it gets difficult. And that's where people go, well, you're not really a Christian, or you're kind of more of a hypocrite. It puts you in that group. And the world can spot a phony. This is going back to Tebow. He says, you know what? First and foremost, Christianity is who I am. And by way of who I am, this is the career or, or what I work or what I do. And then it flows from that. And so when we begin with right, God and we begin with uh, Christ, then typically we're going to end with Christ. 
So we have to realize that the world is smart. The world can see. The world can discern. No, not everyone. We're talking generally here. The second thing we want to realize is that there's no contradiction between God's blessing and our temptations. Right? There's no contradiction here. We see that Joseph is, has been sold, right? He arrives, and all of a sudden, a little bit of time has happened. The, uh, Potiphar sees that he is blessed. God is with him. And pretty soon, he starts giving him a, a control. And maybe there's a moment where Joseph, wow, things are working out pretty good for me, right? I'm, I'm the second in control of this whole house. Everything is put under my control, uh, and, and except his wife. And so maybe things are going good. And there could be a tendency, maybe in our lives, to be complacent here. When things are going good, Right, we can become complacent. Isn't that usually when we tend to trip up over things? Things are going all right. There's no difficulty because usually when there's difficulty, what are we doing? We're praying. We seek the Lord. We trust the Lord. Right? I'm going to read Scripture. Man, I'm going to pray through this. But when things are going good, we have a tendency to go, "Well, I don't need to pray as much." Right? And there can be a tendency for him to just simply, you know what? It's all good. Right? I'm fine. I'm going through these things. Um, but the lesson is clear. Right? The lesson for us here is never let your guard down. Why? Because when things are easier, things are going better, or there's a promotion at work, or your dreams are starting to unfold, it's starting to happen, or your popularity is growing, right? and you've got influence, or all those types of things, we tend to go, well, you know, I don't really need God as much anymore because things are working out. We fail to realize God is the one who's working these things out. Right? Joseph realizes God is working these things out. There's never an abandonment here. And so it's important for us in life when we're dealing with temptation, right? Those temptations come very easily and they come quickly. And we must always keep our guard up. Usually when things are going good, right, we should say, you know, watch out, right? Watch out. Today's victories often lead to tomorrow's trials, and that's true to life. Many of us can go, yeah, that's how it works itself out. So keep your guard up. Second thing in verses 6b through 12a, I put, always put God first. That's kind of like a no-brainer, isn't it? Yes, we should put God first. Look at the story. It says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look. My master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, after he spoke this, right, after, excuse me, she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. That it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do the work, and none of the men in the house were inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. So at this point in the story, we have a new character, right? We know that Joseph has, has walked through some difficult things. He's had some brothers do some horrible things. He gets sold. He comes. He, he grows favor. This all takes time, right? And he's the second in the charge of Potiphar's house. Now we see this new person just simply known as Potiphar's wife, and she has longing eyes, right? Longing eyes for Joseph. She's watching him, right? Paying attention to what he does. Maybe she's thinking, wow, Potiphar used to kind of look like him a little bit. Right? And this is kind of the new version here. And man, he looks really good. And it, Moses tells us he's handsome in appearance, right? In form and appearance. 
But there's a desire here on her part and going, wow, look at this. But we just simply know her as Potiphar. We also learn that she's very direct. Right? I mean, there's, nothing, there's no mincing words here. We, we understand clearly what she's getting after, right? She's casting her longer eyes, and she tell, tells us, I'm in lie with me. So we see her persistency here, back and again and again, and he consistently says, no, right? No, no. And maybe she's thinking, well, he didn't really mean no. No means different things. Maybe not today. Maybe it's tomorrow. Who knows what she's thinking, right? Maybe she thinks she can wear down his resistance, Maybe she thinks, you know, I'm used to getting everything I want. Right? Can I have you? You're a slave, right? We own you. A lot of that is, is played into this. But we see, right, not only her desire is, is very persistent, we also see that Joseph's persistency in no is strong as well, isn't it? And why is that? This is very important for us because you're going to face temptations. You're going to have something that's there. Maybe it's a workplace you come to and it's always there. Maybe it's a situation where you find yourself in that. There's always going to be temptations in life that are going to be saying they're going to be preaching at you. Day in, day out, come on, come on, come on. Still one more time, no one's looking. All the, all the excuses may be floating through your mind. No one will know. We can just do it once, whatever it might be. What is Joseph? What is his response? Number one, his response is what? He's loyal to his boss. Maybe he thinks this will kind of get her off his back, so to speak, right? Where he can say, look, look, you refused to, and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me because you are his wife. He's kept you back because you were his wife. So maybe he thinks this is the answer. Look, everything's been given to me. Why would I blow it? You should understand these terms. I'm a slave. He's my master. If I do this, I'm out. Who knows what will happen to me, right? I mean, you guys can just say the word and I could be killed. I mean, who knows? He's gonna, I'm not going to do anything with this. All right, so in the workplace, and the ethic, right, be loyal to what you need to be doing. Give focus and attention to that. Second thing we realize is Joseph is loyal to God. Outstandingly so right? Immensely so. He's loyal to God because he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Man, right? He's calling it what it is. Joseph knew right away that adultery is sin. This is a great wickedness, right? And it's interesting, he doesn't say, I'm sinning against Potiphar, even though Potiphar would be affected by this. He doesn't go, I'm going to sin against Potiphar. What does he say? I'm going to sin against God. Why would I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph has greater loyalty to God and his laws. And it's important for us to remember that God has the final say in what sin is. So we live in a, in a world that wants to redefine that. We unfortunately live in a world where a church wants to get rid of that word altogether because that's offensive, sin. But it's hard to read the scriptures and go, well, we really can't get rid of that word. Right? The Bible, I mean, you have to stop reading most of it to get away from the word sin. There is sin. That God has a standard. That God is holy. No sin can be in his presence. This is why Christ has come. We need to be as the psalmist, right, who says in 119.89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. If you're not settled on this fact today, this is a day that you need to become settled. Let's not redefine sin, right? We need more of Joseph's attitude. When you start calling things by biblical names, he says it what it is. This is not just some you know, affair or some type of get-together or, or no one will know. He calls it what it is, a great wickedness. 
and I'll sin against God if I do this. You can call adult, you know, adultery many different things, but it's still sin. Renaming it doesn't change the character of it. So we see his resolve. His no is more than just no. This isn't good. My, my stature or my position might change. He says, no, this, this thing right here, God, he God knows and he sees, right? He God is with me. God has blessed me, even for my sake, all these things, I mean, all of this. Joseph seems to have the understanding that even in the middle of this, that God is present. If I go and do this sin, it's against him. I'm not going to be able to hide it from him. And so he's persistent. He says no, and then finally it happens, right? Finally she made her move in verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house, and he's all alone, right? There's no one else around. We can make this easy. The men in the house were outside that she caught him by his garment, saying, right? That's persistency. Sometimes temptation just wants to go after you and grab you with both hands, doesn't it? So what do we do now, right? This is happening. It's a moment of truth. Even though Joseph was a slave, right? We understand where his identity is at. He understands who he belongs to. He knows why he was born. He knew and understood he belongs to God. He's not going to mess with this. He's not going to flirt with this. He's not going to harbor this thought whatsoever. He's not going to look for any type of justification. He's not going to take a moment to go and, and, and pray about it, right? He's not going to go and do any of this stuff. He's not going to apologize. He doesn't apologize to her. What does he immensely do? He just gets out of that situation. Get out of there now. He simply put God first. In this life, you're going to face temptations and struggles and, and pain. Put God first. Put him first. Begin with God and help you from uh, living a life of heartache and sorrow. And we must also add to that, if this morning you're working through heartache and sorrow, understand that God's grace and mercy is for you. Part of understanding and calling sin, sin, is to realize that we can come and confess it, that we can be forgiven of it, that we can repent of it, we can turn, we can make changes. It's the great story of Scripture, right? God does this amazing work in us. So we want to put God first. And this naturally leads into the second part of verse 12, right? We deal with temptation quickly. Man, don't hang out with it, right? But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He could have justified a lot of things here, right? We've kind of gone down that road. He could have said, look, no one's, no one's doing that. I'm a slave. I deserve this. Who knows what he could have said? But we see what is Joseph, his pattern here is one, he was, he was courteous, Hey, no, 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 this is my husband, you know, your husband, my master, will, I won't do this. He's put it all in my trust. He's courteous to her, right? He's cautious. He probably has is, is many times made sure that he wasn't the only one in the house. And here's this one moment he slipped up. And then we see wonderful uh, courage here, right? He's courageous. I'm just going to leave, right? He, he fears the Lord more than his position, You know, if she was saying, why don't you stay for a while? He would say, I love to, but I've got to run, right? I'm not hanging out around here. That's exactly what he did, right? Out the front door, over the hedge, down the road, man, he's gone. I'm not going to hang out. Just, no, because this doesn't end anyway, but bad for him. You realize this, that it ends bad for him anyway, right? He's, he's caught, which could lead to more temptation. And here's the thing I think that you need to, to understand is, one, temptation is going to come, and, but you, your mind needs to be made up. When it happens, what you're going to do. See, he's already predetermined. This happens, I'm out. He didn't sit there and 
take a moment and say, you know what, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pray about this for a little bit. Maybe we have a conversation. Let's start out slow. and Let's talk about it. I mean, none of that is here. I think that's a good uh, indicator, or not indicator, but a good um, something to remember in life that when temptation comes, exit quickly. Have a predetermined uh, answer to that moment. See, we go through life, we go through struggles, there's things we deal with, and we know those struggles are going to circle back around. So if they're circling them back around, what is, what is your response to that? Predetermined. When I was playing baseball in, in Little League, I loved playing catcher. Favorite position, love baseball. And we would have played in the league at the age, I don't remember how old I was, but you could steal bases, right? We were that old, so playing catcher was even more fun, right? Yeah, I'll try to steal second base, right? Throw you out. I threw a lot of guys out. I mean, I think I did. I'm pretty sure I did, right? It's a long time ago. But I remember one baseball season, we, we would, we was like, oh, automatic. When, when someone got on first base, they were, they were next pitch, they were going to steal second because a lot of catchers wouldn't throw a good throw and they take their chances, right? Unlike me, I threw a lot of them out. But uh, my coach brought me in the shortstop. He said, you know what, here, there's a situation that happens in this we play when there's a runner on first base and a runner on third. It was always automatic. First pitch, the, the runner on first, would, he would still second. Because if they can get the catcher to hop up and throw a bad throw, the guy on third is going to come home and score. It was just like this automatic thing. It was like almost accepted, right? And so the, our coach brought me and, and our shortstop together and goes, here's, here's what I want you to do. When you see this situation, right, guy on third, guy gets on first, you know the next pitch he's going. I want you to make eye contact to the shortstop and look at each other. We nod at each other. Okay. So when he steals, because Tyson wants you to hop up, grab that ball, throw it straight to the shortstop. He's not even going to make a play at second. He's going to turn around and throw the ball right back to you. And I remember, I remember thinking when he was sharing this with us, I kind of thought, wait, you don't trust me? I'll get that guy at second. You know what I mean? Like, come on, I'll get him out. But he was playing for the guy at third, right? Because automatically when you threw, they, the opposite team would send their runner home. And 99% of the time, I was there waiting with the ball. It worked like every time. I was amazed, right, honestly. Only one time it didn't work is when the kid on third wasn't paying attention, all right? The guy stole second. When I hopped up, I threw the shortstop, and I had it back, and he took like five steps down. I go, wait, why does the catcher have the ball already? It was like that one time our perfect streak was broken, right? But I learned this lesson. And I, you know, it's amazing. I, it's a lot of things in baseball, but I learned this, kind of this moment, and the coach had no intentions of teaching this, but I learned this idea that when situations happen in life, if you're predetermined what you're going to do, right, you have success. See, so you struggle with temptation and things in life. You know, right, where your struggles are at. You know that temptation is going to come back around. Are you going to predetermine what you're going to do differently? Or are you just going to respond the same way you've been doing it? See, Joseph is, is responding quickly. His mind's already made up. He's going to check out of there. If she does this, I'm gone. I'm not even going to harbor this thought. I'm not even going to hang out here. I'm not going to be anything close attached to this whatsoever. So he leaves. And I think there's some wonderful insight for us as we pursue right, our walk with the Lord. When you see the situation happening, already know what you're going to do. Right? You need to figure that out. We also learn from his life, this is number four here, uh, doing, doing right may bring suffering. We don't like that one, right? We'd rather skip this point, but this is what happens. She has... His coat, he's fled out, he's run over the hedge, and he's down the road a little ways, and, and so it was, in verse 13. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, 
that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought to us, uh, excuse me, brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. Right? She didn't get her way, so now there's, there's racial issues here and a whole bunch of other things. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I had lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me, fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until her master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom he brought to us came to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he, he left his garment with me, and he fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that he was angry, uh, that his, excuse me, his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. And we also know from the story that this is purposely done, right? God is going to get him in contact with some other people. But here we see it unfold once again. He's doing the right thing. He's going to suffer for it. Right? She has uh, his coat, and, and she's not happy about how this is playing out. She's used to getting what she wants. Joseph has said no persistently, and there's two things that jump out. Right? He suffers another false accusation. Right? She lies on him. This is what he did. He had nothing to do with it. And it's interesting that there's another coat involved. Another lie. He also, he suffers being unjustly imprisoned, right? You can imagine a husband hearing this from his wife, of course. I think he's completely justifiable, right? He would do this. He doesn't know that she's lying. But here we see him once again back in a pit, so to speak, right? They lied on me again. I'm in a pit. How is this going to play out? He knew who he was. He acted on his convictions. And now he finds himself in jail. And I think for us, the good news, as we look, work through this life, I think it tells us that we can stand up to temptation. Right? We can do it. God's power in us. The bad news is, is when we stand right, and fight those temptations, we may lose our popularity in the process. We may suffer for it. We may be criticized for it. But in those moments, we have to be very mindful, right? The world hated Christ, and they crucified him. And Jesus told us, the world will hate you simply because of me. So once we accept that, that is a reality, then I can live my life in a way that is honoring and pleasing. And doing the right thing may suffer, but I know even in all of these things, God is with me. And that leads to the last point here. God is with those who do right, isn't he? 21 through 23, he says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Here it is, starting all over again, the cycle again. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. It's an amazing statement. Because he was faithful to God, because Joseph was faithful, he lost his job, he's lost his freedom, he's lost his reputation. Because he was faithful. He appears to be a ruined man, 
right? In this scene, now he's in prison. We know the story as it unfolds. We say, no, it's not. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God takes care of all the details of all these situations. And we know ultimately we will not be disappointed. And we learn from Joseph that it's always better to do right the first time, isn't it? Joseph could have been sitting in prison going, man, not only did this happen, but now I have a guilty conscience. I sinned against God. I did this great wickedness. But none of that is here. He's simply in prison going, well, Lord, what do you have now? It's like whatever the Lord puts in front of him, he just puts his effort, his work, his thoughts, and he begins. Even though he ends up in jail, the Lord is with him. See, Joseph had settled long ago who he was. He knew why he was born. He didn't know the big picture, but he knows he belongs to the king. Right? Do you know that this morning? Do you know who you are? And this whole story, as it unfolds in your life, right, the that God is active. Do you know that He's with you? Do you know that He's with you in the middle of your storms today? He's the ever-present God. He desires that we would take the time to see, open our eyes and trust. Know that God is with us. Joseph knew he belonged to God and made all his decisions very easy. When this happens, I'm running away, right? Temptation comes, I'm exiting. We fear the Lord. So there's four applications, I think, that, that we can glean from this. There's probably many more, but there's four that jumped out to me. You know, as, as we live this life, as our story is unfolding, well, the first one is there's no better companion in life than God. You have to remember that God is the hero of our story. And this morning, you may be walking through difficulty and going, I don't, I'm not sure where he is. Joseph had many opportunities to say that very same statement. I'm in a pit, now I'm in prison. And all I've done was what? I told my brothers some dreams, right? My, my father blessed me, and they, they hated me for it. I served my master. He was blessed in everything. And I, I, the one thing he said I will not give you is his wife. It's the one thing I stayed away from. It's the one thing I kept doing the right thing. And all along, he understands in this life, it's in fully, and God is the hero, right? Do you know him? you know Christ as your Savior? Do you have this confidence in your life that as you, as you live it out, as tomorrow comes and, and you're putting one foot in front of the other and you're going to work and you're facing that difficulty, do you know that He's with you? You need to know that. He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Second thing is, the fear of God is the best means of grace for avoiding sin. Joseph has a wonderful Right? Fear of the Lord. I'm going to sin against Him. As we know from 1 John, you know, when John began his letters, he said, you know, God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. He is holy. Right? He is mighty. He is, he is awesome. We can't come into His presence of our own. We need a, a Savior. We need a propitiation. He uses that word. He goes on. He says, look, we've all sinned. Right? As Paul says, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all equal in this. We need a Savior. So beginning there and understanding God's grace for you and his love for you becomes a wonderful, powerful motivator to avoid sin. If you realize God has paid a huge price for you, for me, well, that should, should, should motivate me, right? To avoid sin, fight these temptations by the power of his spirit. Let me do what is right and honoring. Let's fear God. It's the best means. Know that his grace is amazing. His mercies are new 
They're for you, and he desires that we would avoid sin. We also want to attach to that the idea that, that if we've sinned, right, should we hop out and pop the other three tires? Brian shared with me this morning that he actually lived the illustration for me. He got a nail in one tire, and he didn't hop out and pop the other three, right? I've never met anyone who would get out and say, you know what, it's useless. Burn the, just light the car on fire. Forget it. How often do we do that in our spiritual walk? We just completely sabotage it. Yeah, repent. When we go through things and struggles, the next thing we do is what, we, what do we say? I can't go to church today. I've had a hard week. Man, if you've had a hard week, this is the place you should be. But too often we, we go without. And, I, and what I'm pushing for here is that you should grow your convictions. Convictions that honor God, that will guide you through life. See, he's, he's convinced that this, if I have, I do this one act, I'm sinning against God. And it's guiding Joseph to make the right decisions to avoid sin. Third one here is your position in life does not negate God's blessings. Right? Whatever you might be walking through or enduring this morning or this afternoon, this life, this week, or maybe it feels like this year, doesn't negate that God's blessings are withheld from you. Now, we, we make decisions, and there are, there are repercussions, and there might be new normals and all those types of things, but God doesn't wait for your life to be perfect and go, okay, now I'm going to bless you. We could be walking through, through opposition. We could be walking through things that are, that are not our fault. I could be thrown into a pit. I could be thrown into prison. I could be lied upon. It doesn't mean God is absent. It doesn't negate his blessing. The last one in here is, if you know who you are, then you can serve Christ anywhere, can't you? And too often, we don't, we don't think of ourselves as being maybe a person, a woman of God, or a man of God that can, can go and, and maybe share their faith or, or live this life, or, or maybe we're quick to pull ourselves out of, the, out of the situation, or we're quick to say, you know what, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm saved by grace. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that, isn't that all of us? If you know who you are, I'm a Christian, and I happen to play football. I'm a Christian, and I happen to work here. I'm a Christian, and I happen to do this. Can't you serve Christ anywhere? Christianity isn't what we do on Sunday morning. It's part of it. But being a Christian is who you are. Monday morning, right, Tuesday through the weekend, it's who I am. I'm a Christian who happens to do this. I think when the church wraps their mind, if you wrap your mind around that statement that you can serve Christ in the middle of difficulty, whether they're blessing mountaintop experiences or valleys you're walking through this morning, we can serve him. We can make him known. We can have eyes that trust his sovereignty. We can have eyes that see his hand moving. We can be encouraged because that's who he is. And I think when the church finally wraps their mind around that truth, we can start to attempt great things for God. Because He's a great God. And if He's great, we should expect great things. It begins with His children, right? His people. Beginning with God and saying, Lord, I, I desire to honor you. Whether it means my reputation, whether it means embarrassment, I want to honor you. I want to live for you.
So it doesn't matter the context of your life. This morning, what you're walking through, God is with us. And it's time for us to begin to see him and to trust him.